This podcast is brought to you by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency? Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. G-O-M-O-T-O.com. I'm Jason Stein, publisher of Automotive News, and this is Daily Drive for Friday, February 26th. The Maruni automotive story is well known in the retail industry. In 2009, Mike Maruni was named one of the top 50 visionary dealers in the nation, a first-time list for automotive news that included many industry luminaries. It was a culmination of an incredible career. But the Maruni story didn't start in Florida. It didn't start at AutoNation. It started with a family loan, a whole lot of risk, and a man named Al, who pooled money borrowed from his father's life savings, his sister's pension, and his father-in-law's remortgage. He then brought every ounce of energy to a family business that eventually led to a building block of the AutoNation structure. Al Maruni never intended to be a car dealer. He and his wife likely had more modest plans in western New York. But one purchase of a Ford store in 1955 led to another that led to a great American success story. Some 20 years later, the dealership group operated seven stores, generating $700 million in annual revenue and Al Maruni was running the business with his son, Mike. And when Florida businessman Wayne Huizinga came calling, Maruni Automotive became part of Republic Industries, AutoNation's predecessor. Mike Maruni eventually became the longtime COO of AutoNation, which grew into the largest dealership group in the country. Mike Maruni told Automotive News that his dad agreed to the deal for his son's sake to give him a chance to help build a national platform. Al Maruni did not seek the limelight. In fact, he preferred making sure that the snow was clear at that original Buffalo store or that the bathrooms were clean. But he knew talent, he knew a work ethic, and he knew that differentiating yourself from the competition could lead to great things. And it did. Al Maruni's story is a rich one, full of success and philanthropic efforts and a legacy that will endure. Al Maruni died last week in Florida. He was 98. Today, we sit down with his son, Mike, in his Florida home to hear the story of succession and success. It's about commitment, relationships, and helping people shine. This is the story of Al Maruni. Well, we've done 250 daily drives, and I'm happy to say this is the first one we've done in person, albeit under some tough circumstances. But first and foremost, Mike Maruni, our own condolences from our Automotive News family to your family, from my family to yours as well, on the passing of your father, Al Maruni. Uh, Jason, thank you very much. It's a tough time for our family, but it's great to be with you, and it's great to get a chance to talk about my dad and other second-gen and third-gen retailers. So we're going to get into some of the generational learning, but I want to start with the story of Al Maruni, and I want you to take me back to Buffalo, uh, Middleport, actually, New York, and tell me how Al got to where Al was going to be or where he ended up. And I, I guess maybe even the fact that he wasn't supposed to be in the car business. Yeah, Jason, it's an interesting story and kind of that American dream rags to riches story. Uh, he grew up as one of seven children, uh, two Lebanese immigrant parents uh, who were blue collar, uh, didn't read or write English. Uh, my dad was the first in his family to go to college, uh, first in his family to go into the service and came out, worked for the Ford Motor Company in the factory and didn't like it and bounced around in a bunch of different jobs. And uh, he had met some people from Ford through my uncle's business and they called and said, 
We've got a, a widow that is out in Middleport, New York, this tiny little town in western New York, and she wants to sell the store. Would you like to buy it? And he said, I'd love to buy it without asking any of the regular questions. Uh, turned out it was a $30,000 purchase. My dad had no money. So he borrowed money from his sister, from his father, from his father-in-law, and from a bank, and had this little Ford store with a planning volume of 100 and he sold 700 new Fords in his second year, and it was off to the races. Wow. And, and the idea of being in the car business, how did that suit Al Marooney? I don't think he really knew what he was getting into. I think he knew he wanted to get ahead. I think he knew he had the ability um, to build teams and to do things that were special. But I don't think he ever dreamt of being an auto retailer. And it was a different day. It didn't take a lot of capital. It didn't take the kind of experience. Um, It took some real street smarts, and he had those. So how do you get from New York to Florida then? And I guess more specifically, how did you get from New York to Florida? Well, first of all, my dad recognized at that time that the growth opportunities in Western New York were quite limited. Uh, Buffalo as a city was blue-collar, steel, and automotive-based. Uh, similar to Detroit, similar to Pittsburgh, and uh, it was slow to rebound. So he looked for the land of opportunity and looked for years trying to find a store in Florida, bought another business, lived there part-time, and all of a sudden found a Ford store in a very tough neighborhood in Miami. I happened to be out of the country with some friends and called in, and he said, guess what? I said, what? And he said, I just bought a Ford store. And I said, Dad, that's great. And he said, guess what? I said, what? He said, and you're going to run it. I said, I hate Florida. He said, you'll be just fine. Get your rear end home. And that's how it started. So you're, so you're now operating the Ford store in Miami, probably not in the best neighborhood either, correct? Right. And everyone in the building was bilingual except my dad, myself, and one other person. Uh, so we were at an extreme disadvantage. Uh, so I did what he did when he got started. I worked every day and every night for one reason, and that is that I was afraid of losing his money. Wow. How were those first couple of years? Uh, Very interesting and then very successful. Um, We hit the economy right, did a lot of things right, brought in some product um, that others couldn't get and uh, really made a name for ourselves and became the, the foundation for an expansion plan. And tell me about the expansion plan. How large did that get? Were, were you, you obviously started acquiring additional stores, and, and now the Marooni name was all over South Florida. Yeah, it was interesting in that our store was in a very bad location. Uh, at the time, the manufacturer wouldn't let us relocate it. And my dad, again, had this wisdom of, you want to be in the right location at the right time with the right product, and started searching for opportunities. And we bought a big Chevy store from the first dealer ever to be terminated for warranty fraud. And the store was kind of a mess, but it was a big store in a great location. And that propelled us on and generated the funds to do a number of other acquisitions. And we were in a high growth phase. Uh, Most importantly, we were able to attract and retain real talent. And that's what really made the difference. Not just my dad and I. It was a team of people um, that came together and performed at the very highest level. And what role did your father play during that transition? Well, it's a it was a it was a moving target. So <clears throat> my dad, when I was growing up, was a very dominant kind of employer. He was involved in everything. He was tough. Um, he was fair, but tough. And when I got out of college, about a year later, he realized that maybe I had some special skills, or he recognized that I had some attributes, and he 
reversed his role from being the dominant player, the CEO, COO, into an advisor role and gave me space, allowed me to make mistakes. Uh, We talked every day, numerous times in the day, but he would never say no. He would just say, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? So I was blessed to have a father that was able to give up real estate and transition at a time um, that I needed to grow, and he felt it was prudent for him to take a short step back. So now we continue with the story, and Wayne Heisinga comes along. Tell me about that process. Oh, boy, that was interesting. So uh, we met Steve Berard on the sidelines of a Monday night football game, um, and he invited us to meet Wayne. Wayne at the time owned the Miami Dolphins, did Blockbuster, did Waste Management, uh, everything Wayne touched was turning to gold. And so my dad and I went over and Wayne said, I want you to be my partner. And I said, uh, I've already got a partner. And I looked at my dad and we just smiled. And uh, the discussion went back and forth and Wayne kind of laid out what his vision and how he felt the industry was going to change. And uh, we left that day and spent a couple weeks doing some soul searching even before the valuation. And my dad felt that I was ready to do something different and uh, take a national stage or platform and help build something special, kind of take some of the ideas we had and take them to scale and stepped aside probably prematurely for him. He was in his 70s, but he was still coming to work every day and stepped aside in what I will call a truly selfless act. There was a good story that was written in the New York newspapers about the Maroney name eventually coming off of the buildings. And in fact, Al Maroney said, I have no problem with this. I've had my time. Um, he was fine to move on, right, and, and with the AutoNation transition? Yeah, and it was the right thing for AutoNation. It was the right thing for us. So at the time, we had a bunch of local regional brands, and they had chosen to brand the South Florida Stars Maroonie. At one time, there was 30 of them. And um, it was time to move to a national brand, and Mike Jackson led that effort. I co-led the effort. We were very supportive. And my dad, it was no big deal to him. He was there for a photo op with Wayne and Mike and myself, and away it went. His comment was, I had my day in the sun, and uh, I'm very content. So as you progressed and and, um, the uh, business relationship changed, obviously, and and your role at AutoNation uh, continued, what what path did did he chart? What did did Al do? Well, first of all, every day he was sitting at, next to his phone at 7 a.m. waiting for me to call uh, so I could rehash my day and what I was going through. Not insider information, but certainly what life was like in that very fast-moving company. It was, at the time, we were the fastest-growing company in America. So his role, as he stepped aside, really went back into the philanthropic role. And he's always had a passion for the Cleveland Clinic, as my mom did, and they began to donate and donate and donate and then took a leadership role and really poured himself into helping build that Cleveland Clinic brand in Florida and was very proud of it. And he also took on the role of being a grandfather and a great-grandfather and got much more active in all the kids' lives, where up till then he worked all the time and my mom was um, the person to take care of the family. And then later he became the caregiver for my mom in the last 10 years of her life and was an incredible caregiver. And always with those morning calls and evening calls to you, checking in on the business, even even long after he had finished, uh, you know, with day to day responsibilities. Yeah, the questions uh, about sales stopped 
about two days before he passed. Mm-hmm. I always ask, how's the business going? How's this person doing? How's that person doing? What are you doing to grow your business? And uh, he just had a real passion for auto retail and a passion for the people in auto retail. As you charted out in your post-auto nation days and started acquiring stores and doing your own thing, I'm guessing he was also right by your side in that advisor role. And, and it's an important point, right? Moving from that CEO role to that mentor role, as you mentioned earlier. Right. And we call it, and it's a phrase I picked up when I was at AutoNation. I didn't invent this, but the knowledge transfer phase, where you've accumulated this book of knowledge. Not all of it's applicable to today, but a lot of the basics of building teams and, and building a culture and having a plan and how to how to execute a plan are very similar. So the knowledge transfer phase that he provided to me so graciously in the 70s and 80s, uh, today I provide that to uh, two nephews and a son-in-law who are the beneficiaries, you could say. Uh, some days they don't feel like they're beneficiaries, but they're the beneficiaries of uh, two generations of knowledge about auto retail. We'll hear more from Mike Marooney after this message. Your service check-in process sets the tone for your customer's entire visit. Do your customers wait longer than five minutes to check in for service? Are your advisors presenting upsells to every customer every time? How often is the opportunity for trade appraisals missed? When your service drive gets busy, these inefficiencies directly impact revenue. Give your customers the option to handle the entire check-in process themselves. From appointment scheduling through final confirmation, all in under two minutes. Customers have the experience they want while selling themselves, which means your advisors are freed up to focus on profit-producing activities. It's a win-win for both CSI and your revenue. Introducing a smarter service link. GoMoto is the self-service kiosk designed to grow your business. If you're ready to start increasing revenue, improving the customer experience, and maximizing service efficiency today, visit GoMoto.com. That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. That father to son learning piece and how, um, I guess, a parent knows when it's time to make a transition. Frankly, how, how, the, how the child knows that it's time. Um, that's a critical point, right? And one that's not easy for some to navigate. Yeah, Jason, those two things don't happen at the same time generally. Uh, generally, the younger person is chomping at the bit and ready to go out and make their own decisions. And the older person who's got the capital invested and really has the, the capital at risk is not so ready. In some cases for ego reasons, some cases for financial reasons, um, I was absolutely blessed that my dad had this intuitiveness of when to do this, and probably did it in phases. As I look back, it seemed like it happened more suddenly, but I'm not sure it did. Uh, but I'd say that's a real struggle in most families, and I'm not sure I personally know when to back off. And I'm trying to really think about those things, and especially with my dad's passing, uh, now it's time to think about how do I more formally transfer power to the next generation, and what are the lessons learned along the way? Did you two talk about succession? Did you did you have long nights uh um, discussing the, 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 the merits of it, the, the, the roadmap? Not with he and I. With he and I, he started coming in less. He would come a little later. He'd always have lunch with the team. We'd have a cross-functional group of people. So he kept involved, but then he'd leave a little bit earlier. And I think it was his way of giving me space. 
Now, what's interesting is, is we started again in Colorado and now in Florida with our six stores. Um, he's talked to me a lot more about it and how to give people space and how to let them make mistakes and how to not overreact to things and, and understand that the enthusiasm of youth and the ability to work the extended hours um, needs to be rewarded both monetarily uh, and in terms of authority. When you think back of Al Maruni's leadership style, what have you taken as, as an attribute from him that you've applied? I think his number one attribute was his appreciation for talent, his willingness to take risk on people, uh, first to assess talent, then take risk, and then develop people, and then retain people. One of the hardest things in our business is when you bring people up and develop them, it's very easy for a competitor or someone else to put a shiny object in front of them. And my dad really taught me about the value of talent. So listen, there's technology, there's process, there's strategy. But at the end of the day in automotive retail, you need to acquire and retain talent and develop that talent and provide a path for them to be very, very successful. And my dad's, one of his core attributes was he really, really wanted everybody around him to be very successful. And I think that's my biggest takeaway. And I think think it's a timeless concept. So many uh, listeners of this program do reach a fork in the road as it goes from one generation to the other. And that can that can come up even in terms of acquiring new businesses or uh, the next generation wanting to venture out on their own in a in a path that maybe the uh, the older generation had never anticipated. How do you navigate that? How did you two navigate that? Well, let's bifurcate it into a couple decisions. One is how do you operate a business, and then how do you acquire more businesses? How do you dispose of certain businesses? How do you know when to infuse capital? So I think the operating side you pick up working side by side. And it's relatively easy. But until you've been at that very special inflection point where you're about to do a big acquisition and take on a bunch of debt, or you're about to build a brand new mega facility meeting a manufacturer's requirement, or your time to exit the business, there's no dress rehearsal for things like that. And I think for the next gen coming up, the first time you come to that fork in the road, it can be very daunting. The advice that I got was, Take your time, really think it through, think about all the ramifications from a personal point of view, from a financial point of view, the impact on your team, and most of all, the impact on your family. And I, I think those are hard. Those are hard Those are hard times, but they're great lessons. And it's great when you've got a mentor there so that you're not going it alone. It's a guardrail, isn't it? It's very much of a guardrail. And it's a guardrail that's, that's rooted in deep wisdom and, and, and some failures along the way. You talked earlier about the philanthropic uh, efforts that uh, your father um, invested time and money in later in life. Um, tell us a little bit more about that. What, what, what has he done for the Cleveland Clinic? Well, he certainly gave them a lot of money and certainly played an active role. But I think he really helped some of the Cleveland Clinic leaders think about the business of healthcare. And if you know anything about the Cleveland Clinic, Cleveland Clinic are run by doctors who some have business skills, some don't. Uh, and he did some mentoring in the early days of the clinic that I think were very beneficial. But it really went back more to my mom and her focus on healthy lifestyle and health care. So when we were growing up, my mom was eating healthy and talking about eating healthy way before it became popular. She didn't have some of the snack foods and the desserts and things like that in our home. We did, we, it wasn't Spartan, but she was very focused on it. 
And then they became focused on the amazing need for healthcare. And as I've talked to a bunch of my dealer friends and most of them have built roots in healthcare in their communities. And you realize as you age how critical that is, having access to world-class healthcare. And that's what the Cleveland Clinic is about. And as you know, Jason, I now serve on the enterprise board of the clinic, and I'm also the chairman of Cleveland Clinic Florida. And I say that um, because my dad strongly encouraged me to do that for future generations. You've had an outpouring of support here over the course of the last number of days. You've heard from all corners of the country, some former teammates, some obviously current teammates. You, you've told me how important this has been to you, the, the, the level of affection that's come from our own automotive community. For sharing that knowledge, but it's been unbelievable to see a 98-year-old who's 20 years from operating a business, 25 years from operating the business, get that level of attention and that amount of credit for his small role in automotive history is it's just, uh, it's been wonderful for our family, and we've all really enjoyed it. And to my friends in the automotive community that have reached out, I would say every call, every text, every email um, meant the world to me. And it just tells me what a special community we operate in and people that genuinely care about each other. And that is a, and I know that there are a number of individuals who you're closely connected with, the McClarties, the Bergstroms who have been at the at the forefront of not only your business decisions, but also on the personal side, too. Yeah, I've been very lucky to be invited into a group of multi-generation retailers where there's father, sons, there's nephews, there's and there's a lot of talk about how do we transition these businesses. And the younger people um, all gather in the social hour, the older people gather in the social hour. But being able to share these experiences with your friends you know, the Berkstroms, the Flows, the Sarahs, the Sewells, um, and outside that group, the McClarties, people like that. That's not name dropping. Those are people who I deeply respect, who put serious thought into these multi-generation businesses and in some cases have gone several generations with a tremendous amount of success. And that learning will carry us for a lifetime. What are you going to miss the most? Oh, the morning and evening calls. Uh, I still, to this day, it's been uh, nine days. I reach for the phone every day and want to make that call. Fortunately, um, both myself and my sisters were there for the last chapter, and we got to say all the things we have to say. There's just a couple more things I would have liked to ask that I didn't. And uh, so we'll miss those, but uh, they're really replaced by lessons learned and wonderful memories and a true appreciation for what it took to build what he built, but more a memory of how he valued his team and how he valued people. And that's what I want to take with me. Whether he's here or not, I'll remember that lesson forever. I think he's probably still wondering how many sales you booked today, too. I will send him a message in my own way. (laughs) Mike, our hearts go out to you and your family. Thank you very much for doing this, for being on Daily Drive, and our deep condolences to you. Jason, I am honored to be with you again, and I am privileged to be able to talk about my mentor, my partner, my confidant, who also happens to be my dad. We reach Mike Marooney in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And that's Daily Drive for Friday, February 26th. For breaking news, go to autonews.com. And for a library of more than 250 interviews, go to autonews.com slash daily drive. We'll be back Monday.